KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, June 18th. San Diegans weigh in on the term Latinx. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Face masks are no longer required for fully vaccinated California workers under rules adopted by state regulators on Thursday. Dave Thomas, who chairs the California Occupational Safety and Health Standards Board, noted the continued misinformation on masks and vaccines. If you haven't been vaccinated, I wish that you would seriously consider it because I think it's probably the most important thing that you can do for yourself in these circumstances. Within minutes of the vote, Governor Gavin Newsom signed an executive order allowing the rules to go into effect immediately instead of undergoing a 10-day administrative law review. Championship golf is back at Torrey Pines. Thursday was day one of the championship series that's featuring local pros like Phil Mickelson and Xander Schauffele. There's more than 150 players teeing off this week. Attendance, though, has been scaled back with a cap of 10,000 fans per day. Restrictions ban autographs, selfies, and fist bumps with the golfers. Petco Park was packed full for the first time in more than a year for Thursday night's opening day. Fans were excited to be out and about, to say the least. It's totally different from sitting home on the couch watching it from TV to being in the field. Hear the crack of the bat, that Slam Diego going on, you know. We needed it. We need this. It's been a long time coming. It's been almost two years since we were allowed in. So we're really excited to get there. The fans were thrilled with a walk-off win against the Cincinnati Reds on Thursday. Big crowds are expected for the rest of the season. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Latino, Hispanic, Latinx, Chicano, there's so many different ways to express one sense of common Latin American identity or Latinidad. Race and equity reporter Christina Kim spoke with community members about the different ways that they identify and how they feel about the term Latinx. The way people choose to identify is always changing, especially when it comes to defining Latinidad or anyone of Latin American descent here in the United States. At KPBS, we're now using the term Latinx, which is a non-binary way of saying Latino or Latina, in an effort to be as inclusive as possible. But we know it's not definitive and has proved controversial, because how we identify and are identified by others can get, well, personal. That's something UC San Diego professor Ariana Ruiz, who teaches about Latinidad, knows all too well. It's the politics of labeling, and with that politics, of course, our conversations around race, sexuality, gender, all of those components come into play. So that is something that, again, it's so personal that it is one that is emotive. Which is why we asked you, our listeners, to share how you identify and your thoughts on the X in Latinx. We got almost 200 responses, and they showed how deeply many of you are thinking about this multi-layered issue. 
Some, like Priscila Vidal, who identifies as non-binary, embraced the term Latinx years ago. For me, I just don't identify as male or female. I feel like very gender neutral. And so the whole term Latinx kind of feels like that. But it also feels like it's its own movement. Others, like Rodrigo Tapia of Chula Vista, prefer terms like Hispanic or Latino because they connect him with his roots as a Spanish speaker. He understands the need to be inclusive, but thinks Latinx erases his connection with Spanish, which he grew up speaking. It, it, it listens a little bit of whitewashing insofar as the language is concerned. To me, Latino or Latina or even Latinx means that you're identifying with a culture that holds Spanish, you know, in a special place. Another Chulavistan, Michael Nzuzna, also doesn't use the X. He prefers the term Chicano, a political identity often associated with Mexican-Americans that emerged in the 1960s during the civil rights movement. Like Tapia, he thinks Latinx is a term imposed by white people. I've never heard anyone use it. I've never heard anyone identify with it. And uh, it's just a term, I don't know if it's going to stick or not, but it's not from us. And that's a big tension point. Where did Latinx even come from? Professor Ruiz says that's a difficult question. So there is no one origin story. Uh, the X is one that is discussed as coming out of indigenous communities throughout Latin America. It's one that we've seen used within Latin American feminist circles as well. When we're talking about Latin X within the U.S., the X is really functioning there to mess with gender binaries. Because of the lack of clarity about when people started using Latinx, people have their own interpretations and understandings about it. Alejandra Lucero Canan identifies as queer, Latinx, and Chicanx. And unlike Inzuzna and Tapia, doesn't see Latinx as a colonized label coming from outside the community. She likes using the X because it makes people stop and think about who has been ignored. The X makes me think of the people that are not often included in these conversations, non-binary people. Afro-Latinos or Afro-Chicanos, and people with disabilities. In the end, there isn't a single definition or understanding of any of these identity labels. But Ruiz says that's a good thing. And so really we want to think about it as embracing the tension, really leaning into the messiness that is a term like Latinx, like Latino, this question of Latinidad. It's not one singular thing but one that is much more multifaceted and has lots of different histories and experiences tied to it. And that story from race and equity reporter Christina Kim. After 11 years of exile, a deported U.S. Army veteran is back home. KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler was at the border on Thursday as he re-entered the U.S. The 77-year-old Army veteran had lived in the United States for more than 50 years, before he was deported for a nonviolent drug offense. De Leon was joined on Thursday by other deported veterans, who walked with him to the border crossing. The veteran had petitioned for years to re-enter the United States, but to no avail until Thursday. Immigration attorney Ian Cerullo helped De Leon get his successful application to the federal government. You know, having him live here in, in, in Tijuana, away from uh, most members of his family, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, again, really unfortunate and sad. De Leon plans to live with family in Santa Maria, California. His goal has always been to return, in any way, to the country he served. And that was KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler. 
The city of San Diego has released a new analysis of policing practices and how they're experienced by communities of color. The report comes from a Yale University-based research organization called the Center for Policing Equity. KPBS's Melissa May has more. The report looks into three areas, traffic stops, non-traffic stops, and use of force, comparing the treatment of people of color to the treatment of whites. Black people were subject to force 4.8 times as often per resident as white people. Michael Burbank of the Center for Policing Equity says black people also experienced more non-traffic stops. So what does it mean when we find a, we have a finding of a racial disparity? Disparity rates in police contact and the outcomes of this contact mean that racial groups within the community of San Diego have different experiences of policing. The report takes into account crime rates, poverty rates, and neighborhood demographics that contribute to the disparities. San Diego Police Chief David Nislight says the department expected to find disparities. These disparities do not necessarily mean discrimination, but they do allow us to take a much deeper look into why they exist and how we can address them through procedural, operational, and strategic decision-making. Francine Maxwell, president of the San Diego branch of the NAACP, welcomed the release of the report. But we've had enough talk. We need to have action and we need immediate, a sense of urgency, implementation of new policies and procedures. This report is part of the Center for Policing Equity's National Justice Database project, which is the first database that captures police behavior. It is now available online at san diego.gov slash CPE report. That was KPBS's Melissa May. The public will have a chance to learn more about issues raised in the report and air any concerns and opinions during two virtual community forums, including one tailored for youths. They're scheduled over the next two weeks. Environmental groups have asked the city of San Diego to close off part of the La Jolla coastline to protect sea lions and their pups from tourists. But the city has declined to take that step for now. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. The Sierra Club asked the mayor on Tuesday to close off public access to the sea lion rookery. In an emailed statement from the mayor's office, city officials say they will add additional signage soon and the city will increase park ranger hours there. It is mixed news for the Sierra Club's Richard Miller. I'm glad to hear that they think that they can get the signage up uh, that's necessary in a very short period of time. Um, That would be extremely good for us. Miller is unhappy the city is not willing to keep the rocky shoreline off limits to people. City officials said in their email statement that the mayor is willing to consider it in the long term if regulators and stakeholders can reach a consensus. The statement says the guidance from federal and state agencies is skeptical about full beach closures to protect marine mammals. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. A summer event celebrating classic cars and the good old times now has something more to celebrate. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more about Cruising Grand's return to Escondido. Cruising Grand, the classic car show, returns to Grand Avenue in Escondido today. Last year would have been the event's 20th anniversary, but the pandemic put a pause to its 20-year streak. Bob and Nancy Enloe have been driving their 59 Chevy Impala to Cruising Grand for the past six years. We're very excited. We missed it a lot. (laughs) 
it means a lot to us older people with classic cars. Cruising grand, you get to see your friends all the time. The free family event will start at 4 p.m. every Friday through September. Diana Gale, the manager of Philippi's Pizza on Grand, is excited to welcome the event back, but is also nervous. Because we are understaffed like a lot of um, restaurants right now. Although the event is called Cruising Grand, there won't be any cruising because of outdoor dining in the downtown area. Instead, Grand Avenue will be closed to car traffic in both directions. And the classic cars will all be parked, giving people a chance for an up-close look. And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. And coming up on the podcast, will people go out to the movies now that the pandemic restrictions have eased? KPBS's Beth Accomando checked in with the Angelica Film Center at Carmel Mountain. Plus, we'll have our weekend local arts events preview. That's all next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. On Wednesday, the Angelica Film Center at Carmel Mountain celebrated the state's lifting of pandemic restrictions by offering morning screenings. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando visited the cinema to see how things are going. On June 15th, cinemas received new guidelines for operation from the state, signaling a return to a kind of normalcy for theater patrons, says Angelica Film Center's general manager, Chris Herbert. It's like coming back home, you know, basically. I mean, A, they want to get out of house. B, a lot of people, their weekly routines include going to the movies. So when we have so many of our regulars come in and they're so happy and it's good to see them, you know. The past 18 months have been a challenge for theaters. They were forced to close for a good portion of the pandemic. And when allowed to reopen, were only able to operate at 50% or less capacity, says Natasha Mulholland, marketing manager for Angelica Film Center and Reading Cinemas. We felt a great deal of suffering throughout this time. It was so difficult to uh, you know, enforce all these new measures. Uh, we had many people upset about having to wear a mask or you know, upset about having to wait in seemingly longer lines because of the social distancing. Social distancing is now gone, and staff were peeling off the six feet apart floor stickers as proof of the change. Starting now, we are at 100% capacity, so we will no longer enforce social distancing measures. So when you book your seat, there are more seats to choose from. We will have regular seating, and there won't be that social distancing requirement where it automatically blocks off seats next to you. Although cinemas are now allowed to fill every seat, the Angelica Film Center is not selling out, at least not yet. So the National Association of Theater Owners has designed a campaign to get people to ditch their couches and go to the cinema. And we want to encourage more people to come back through Cinema Week, which is taking place June 22nd to 27th, and it incorporates several fun events. So we'll be doing movie trivia on the outdoor patio uh, June 23rd. There will also be prizes, concession discounts, and wine and beer tastings during Cinema Week. Angelica also hopes that patrons will like not having to wear masks if they're fully vaccinated. 
If you have not been, we are requiring that you come in with a mask on and wear it in all common areas. This is up to the patron to be honest about, and we do really hope that people do the right thing. Theater staff, however, will still be required to wear masks, at least for now. How eager people are to come back to movie theaters may depend on the films. There's nothing like that moment when the lights go down. The projector ignites. And we believe. We've seen a lot of pre-sales for F9, The Fast Saga. We just released ticket, advanced ticket sales for Black Widow, and that has been incredibly popular already. We're really gearing up for that. Again, Chris Herbert. Basically, we're beefing up our staffing levels just for that. But I mean, the movies lately have been really good. The Conjuring, you know, was done really well. Quiet Place, Cruella, it's just done well, so. And of course, now some of the major pictures have been pushed back, you know, for months, almost a year now, are starting to come out. So we got Black Widow coming up in July, so, you know, it's, it's, it's full steam ahead. But Angelica Film Center has a history of encouraging people to attend more than just the blockbusters. We have a fantastic documentary about Rita Moreno opening this week, as well as the Sparks Brothers, the Edgar Wright film. I really feel a strong sense of positivity. Herbert says he and his staff are driven by two things. We show good movies and we take care of our guests. And that's first and foremost, like when you come in here, you're treated like you're part of the family. So that's, that's, I think, what really brings people here to Angelica. So maybe Dom and his cinematic family are just what's needed to get people off their couches and into cinemas again. We'll see you soon. Angelica Film Center, like so many theaters, is just hoping that people will get back into the habit of going out to a movie. And that was KPBS arts reporter and cinema junkie host Beth Accomando. And if you're looking for some local arts events this weekend, KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans is here with her weekend preview. First up, local writer, bar manager, and musician Ben Johnson released his feature film Fanboy earlier this year, and now the long-awaited soundtrack is being released. The film is a thriller firmly entrenched in the local music scene, so as you can imagine, the soundtrack is jam-packed with locals. But the film centers around a fictional band, Xenos. So So a lot of the incredible music in the film were original tracks written for this fictional band. Johnson is bringing Xenos to life to perform on Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. in the Krakatoa Coffee Shop parking lot in Golden Hill. It's a free show and the newly released soundtrack will be available to buy on vinyl. This weekend marks Juneteenth the day that commemorates the official end of slavery as word of the emancipation finally reached people in Texas. The San Diego Black Artist Collective has paired with local theaters to put together a week-long festival. It features brand new plays by local Black playwrights, and they'll also present two in-person events on Saturday. The first, at noon, is the Old Globe's free access event, which features short performances of music, dance, and theater on the Globe's outdoor festival stage. 
And this is the first time the stage has been used since the Shakespeare Festival back in 2019. Afterwards, you can stroll over to the other side of Balboa Park at 1 p.m. to catch the second annual Artists for Black Lives event. There's going to be performances, arts and vendors, and more. And if you don't want to go out, you can check out some of the festival's virtual plays. I loved The Mango Tree by Bibi Mama, which is a 20-minute one-person play that is just gorgeous and powerful. Do you see that? My brother and I eat, play, and do homework at this river. And this mango tree! This is our favorite climbing tree. Strong branches, good for holding, and the burly trunk makes for great footholds. My brother is the eldest by seven minutes, but I am the superior climber. Strong legs! The Mango Tree by Bibi Mama, which was produced by Moxie Theater, will stream tonight at 8.30 and Saturday at 6. In San Isidro, there's a new art crawl. Art spaces and businesses are coming together to launch Cedro Saturdays, which will be held the third Saturday of each month. This Saturdays is the first from 5 to 10 p.m., featuring poetry performances, live music, art vendors, DJ sets, and food and beer, and also lowriders. There's a QR code and a map online of all the participating locations, but a good place to start is at the front gallery on West San Isidro Boulevard. And finally, are you looking for some Father's Day plans that are a little bit off the beaten path? The Hazma Quartet is doing a special Father's Day performance on Sunday at 4 p.m. aboard the Maritime Museum's Berkeley ship. It's a quick 30-minute show, and it's free with museum admission, so you can also impress the dads in your life with some maritime facts in the museum. Hausman will perform Jesse Montgomery's intriguing quartet, Strum, as well as this piece, which is one of my favorite contemporary compositions, Caroline Shaw's Valencia. And you can find details on these and more arts events and sign up for my weekly KPBS Arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great holiday weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.